in February coming off of our 21 days of fasting and prayer and it would be about breaking free. I don't know what I'm preaching the rest of the year, but I know where we're going for the next few weeks. And I believe with all my heart that this is what God wants to say to us over the next few weeks. And I, and I think as we've sang this morning and that the Lord has confirmed that and boy, the fight I've had this week with me. Anybody have a week sometimes where you 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 fighting with self? I've had a fight with me this week to get to this point. So I've been fighting my battles all week. And I believe the Lord has deposited something in me that is for you to hear this morning. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is coming out of the desert, 40 days of fasting and praying. He's been tempted by the devil. And in Luke chapter 4, Luke pulls up to Jesus. Had to be one of his very first times speaking as he came out of those 40 days of fasting and prayer. And Luke tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee. Look at this. He came out of that fasting and prayer in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Which meant that Jesus went to church every Sunday. Except for the 40 days he was in the wilderness. So when you've been out of church for a month and a half, you're ready to get back to church, right? So was Jesus. And it said he got in church that day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And it wasn't handed to him by chance. But whoever was handing out the scrolls that day, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, gave the scroll of Isaiah to Jesus and he enrolled it. And he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We have proclaimed good news this morning for the last almost 50 minutes. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And the recovery of sight for the blind. And to set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now you may not know how important that is, but they would stand to read the scriptures. And when the rabbis would sit, then they would sit and start sharing what was on their heart. So he had finished reading the word of God, and the word of God sat down. Did anybody hear what I just said? The word of God sat down, and every one in the synagogue, their eyes were fastened on him. And here's what Jesus said. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Lord, your presence is here. To do what you said, Jesus, you had come to do and fulfill. What was written hundreds of years before by the prophet Isaiah, Lord, you came and you did that. And you're here this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that in our lives today. And I just pray this morning that as we hear your word, that Lord, you would speak through me 
And God, you would give us ears to hear your word. And we pray for radical transformation in the house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when you're in high school, like many of these students are down here, there's a variety of clubs and organizations and music groups and sports things that you can be involved in. And the small town that I grew up in, in Princeton, North Carolina, about 30 miles east of Raleigh, believe it or not, in our little high school, one of the most popular clubs to be in was the chorus. That would probably surprise you, but... And it wasn't because we had the best singers or we had this reputation that everybody loved to sing, but it was because our chorus teacher, Miss Pierce, had developed a reputation of putting on some of the very best high school musicals. And y'all are going to think high school musical cheesy, but not high school musical as we know it today. But high school musicals, Broadway plays in that part of the state. And so if you sang a little bit or liked acting, you would be a part of it. And I mean, we had football players, basketball players, you know, a little bit of everything was in the chorus. And in my ninth grade year, she announced that the, the program, the musical for that year was going to be the musical Oliver. Well, I don't know if you know anything about Oliver, but Oliver is based on the, night, the 1837 Charles Dickens classic Oliver Twist. It was over a hundred years later before the British composer Lionel Bart would write the, the musical in, in 1960, Oliver, which would go on to become a, a major motion picture and actually win an Academy Award as Best Picture Oliver did. And I didn't know anything about Oliver, but I thought as a ninth grader that I didn't have a shot of getting a major role in the play. I just thought, I'm too young, I probably won't get it, but I had something going for me. At 15 years old, I was shorter than everybody else. I was extremely skinny. I know you just had to take my word for that at the time. And I looked a lot younger than I was at 15. And so I went to Miss Pierce and I said, Hey, Miss Pierce, I want to try out for the part of Oliver. And she said, Les, you know, we really need to play the part more toward a kid who, like, it was written for a fifth or a sixth grader. Uh, but if you want to try out, you can try out. So I practiced. I, I got everything ready to go. I practiced. And not only did she let me uh, try out for the part, I got the lead role of Oliver. And so as I began to learn about the story, I didn't know anything about the story of Oliver. I began to learn and read about it. There was a scene in the movie and in the story that, that really got me stressed out. Because I was like, I don't know if I can do that scene. And then one day... As we were practicing, we would, we would have our choir rehearsal, and some days she would say, we're going to the stage today. We're going to block out the, the show. And as we're walking to the stage, I see my fear sitting on the stage in the form of a coffin. I don't know if you know the story of Oliver, but in the story of Oliver, Oliver is an orphan boy, and he gets kicked out of the orphanage, and the head of the orphanage, Mr. Bumble, walks through the streets of London singing this weird song, Boy for Sale. He's going cheap, is the, literally the line. And so that's what happens in the movie and in the story. And there is an undertaker named Mr. Sourberry who agrees to purchase Oliver. And so Oliver goes to work for Mr. Sourberry in the, uh, in the undertaker's shop, and he has some jobs that he does. And in the story, there's an older boy named Noah Claypole. 
He's bigger and older than Oliver, and he's a bully. And he starts making fun of Oliver, and he starts uh, talking to him and saying stuff like, boy, you must be quite a loser because you're, even your mother didn't want you as an orphan. I mean, what an awful thing to say. And so Oliver was a tough kid. He was scrawny and little, but, but he, was, he was wiry, and he jumped in there, and he, him and Noah started fighting. And in the storyline, they're fighting back and forth, and to keep him from fighting, they take... Oliver and throw him in a casket and shut the door the lid rather well I had read this in the script and now I'm walking out to block the scene and there's the casket and Miss Pierce says alright let's get in the casket we're going to try this scene out now I don't know if you've ever laid in a casket before but it's not a lot of fun and so I had known that was in the script and I was really nervous about it and so but, but the entire ninth grade chorus is standing around, which includes the best-looking girls in the ninth grade. So I had to suck it up and act like I was tough and big and bad. And I climbed in the casket, and I don't know who did it, but as soon as I laid in it, somebody went wham and slammed the door. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on the inside of a casket before, but there are no latches on the inside of a casket. And so I'm laying there, and immediately the thing shuts and latches, and I'm locked in. And I forgot all about being cool, 15-year-old, and I started beating and banging and screaming and yelling for my life. And it felt like two or three minutes. It was probably only about 15 seconds. But they finally popped the lid open, and I was just like, I don't care. I don't care if I'm embarrassed. I cannot be in that thing. And it created a lot of anxiety in me as I knew for the show, I was going to have to get in that casket. We were going to practice the scene and we would do the show two times. So two times I had to get in it. And in the scene, when Oliver gets thrown in the casket, he's in there for several minutes while the play goes on. So I've I, I got to be honest, I've not thought about this story in 30 years. And I, I remembered it this week as I was studying. I can remember praying and saying, Lord, you're going to have to help me do this. And I had this idea where I took, a, I took a piece of construction paper and I folded it up and I made it just big enough that it would go over the latch. And I went to that coffin and I put it right over the latch and taped it there so that when the coffin fell, there would be about that much space and I wouldn't be locked in. And at least I had that much room to <laughs> breathe and look out and make sure everything was going to be okay. And I can remember the, the two nights of the show, one of the ways I got through it, I would lay there and I would look through the cracks and, and, it, and I was laying just so I was kind of like this, like where I could look out and see the faces of everybody in the crowd. And to get through those few minutes, I would look through the crowd and see if I could find my mom and my dad and any friends or who's, who's in the crowd just to get my mind off the fact, y'all, that I am in a casket. And the whole time I got to remember what's my next line when I get out to continue playing playing this thing. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been locked inside a casket, but I can tell you that it is uh, not a lot of fun. And it's nerve-wracking, and it's, it's, if you've got a little bit of claustrophobia at all, it's not a good thing. But I got to thinking about that this week, about how I felt helpless and confined and isolated, and that I couldn't breathe in that casket in that moment. And I thought, you know, that's an awful lot like what happens in our lives when we have something that we can't break free from. It's like being inside a casket and the lid shut 
and I'm hopeless and I'm isolated and I feel trapped and bound and enslaved. And you know, just like there was a Noah Claypole in the story who was the bully who bullied Oliver and threw him in the casket, we all have a bully. We all have a spiritual bully known as the devil, Satan. He is real. We cannot worship Jesus and give Him all the praise and believe that there is a Jesus Christ and fail to realize that on the other side, just as real as we believe there's a Jesus, there is a Satan. It all, the, uh, uh, the oppression and the evil of this world doesn't just come because it's a balance of power and it's just floating around. There is an enemy named the devil. And just like Noah Claypool was an enemy of Oliver and threw him in that casket, your enemy, the devil, wants to throw you into places where you are bound and isolated and you cannot break free. You know this is true because even before you came to Christ, the devil does everything possible to keep you from making that decision for Christ. He will try to convince you that if you do decide to come to Jesus and live for Him, that all of your freedom is gone. Have you ever heard the enemy say this before? Say, well, if you become a real, uh, fully-fledged Christ follower, then you won't have any more freedom. You can't do what you want to do and go where you want to do and, and, and hang with the people you want to hang. It, it, it's just not as fun. Anybody ever heard the enemy say that? And then once you make that decision to follow Christ... There's always that opposition there. The enemy is always at work trying to break that relationship that you have with Jesus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And if he cannot break the relationship that you have with Jesus, if he realizes after 5, 10, 15 years that you've been serving and following God and you've said, I'm going to make this decision, he doesn't quit, does he? He says, well, at least I'm going to find something to make him and her miserable to keep them bound so that they cannot experience all the full freedom that they can have in Jesus. See, the enemy knows the freedom that you can have in him. That's why he fights you so hard. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.1, a verse that you read and you think, well, I, okay, Paul, did you really even need to tell us that? Because it's almost redundant. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You think about that. Well, Paul, of course. But when you think about that verse, when we are set free from our old ways and our past and our sin, it's not just to be free from the past. It is to experience the freedom. It is to experience freedom in the fullness sense of the word. See, the enemy is the antithesis of what Jesus is. For everything that Jesus is, the enemy is the opposite. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have come that they may have what? Life and have it to the full. And in that same verse, in John 10 and 10, right before that, Jesus tells us what the enemy comes to do. And he says, the enemy. Now, I've come to bring what? Life. But the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Two different sides of what's going on is what Jesus said. So the enemy's always at work. He's always trying to trap you and enslave you and keep you from the very best that Jesus has for you. And there's a lot of things that we can talk about that can keep us bound and keep us enslaved. You know, one of the things that we can talk about today is, is addictions. 
There's all kinds of addictions out there, and we've, we've heard about them. Not even being in the church, you hear about addictions in the secular world, right? I looked up this week, and I found that there are five things that are the five most addictive substances on this planet. Before I give them to you, I just want you to think for a second. What do you think the five most addictive substances on earth are? Just think. Don't say out loud. Let's see if you got any of them right. Number five is nicotine. Most, fifth most addictive substance on the planet. Number four is barbiturates. We would call those downers. That's like sleeping pills and things that you use for anxiety. Those things can be incredibly addictive. Number three is cocaine. High on the list, number two is alcohol. And number one is heroin. It might surprise you that tucked right between heroin and cocaine is alcohol. So let's talk a little bit about some of these addictions that the enemy wants to use in our lives. Let's, let's, I'm going to get right up in your living room right now, okay? Are you ready? Pull your feet up and tighten up. Here we go. If alcohol is the second most addictive thing on earth, we probably don't have people here today, I hope not, who are dealing with heroin or cocaine. You may have. But alcohol is right in our living rooms all the time. It's on our television sets. Whether it's beer or wine or liquor, it's there. And it's, we're told by culture that the only way we can have fun and have a good time is that if we've got some alcohol in our hands. The scripture is very very clear about alcohol. The scripture says clearly that to be drunk with wine is a sin. Drunkenness is listed right in all the other things. And in our culture today, it is in vogue now to have a little wine, and not just a little wine, but a little wine all the time. I mean, wine is in right now, if you don't know. You go to these stores and they got all these signs and stuff for wine, and wine is in. And I, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna. I, I know I, you can. I know you're gonna push back and you say, "Well, you can have a little bit if it's if I don't get drunk." But but you know what? I, let me just take a quote from just the secular world. The secular world will tell you when it comes to drunk driving that buzz driving is drunk driving, buzz drinking is drunk drinking. If you got to have a little. Something to take the edge off for the end of the day? Can I suggest that maybe you're using something, a substance to take the edge off? That Jesus Christ is in your life to help you take that edge off rather than an alcoholic drink or a glass of wine or whatever it might be. Because the enemy, he wants whatever he can get in our lives. Let's talk a little bit about drugs. Give, give me that next slide, Chris. Whether they're illegal drugs... We can run the list with those, but for our culture today, prescription drugs is a big deal. And, and many of us have prescription drugs that we have, but can I tell you, the enemy wants to take something good that the doctor would prescribe you and make it an addiction and a stronghold in your life. Be very careful with those things. Be very careful with those. We can put marijuana in the list because now we have a culture that says, hey, marijuana needs to be you know, great across the board. There's all these great things for marijuana and you know what I want to say to that? Yeah, right. Well, you bought the lie too, didn't you? What about tobacco and nicotine? Well, our culture has finally gotten to the point to where we've, we, we've, we've you know, ostracized cigarette smokers way out the door, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, just like the worst thing in the world. And it's not a good thing. And so we, now we've come up with replacements called vaping. Now, I love vaping because the thing about it is you go and you see the vape stores, and I love the, 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 
flyer and the big sign on the vape stores that say, quit smoking. <laughs> Have you ever pulled up beside a car when somebody was vaping? There's more smoke billing out of that baby than if he had a cigarette going on. You know, there's nicotine in vape, right? There is almost as much nicotine in one cigar as in a whole packet of cigarettes. There is five times the amount of nicotine in one cigarette, I'm sorry, five times the amount of nicotine in one dip as in one cigarette. The fifth most addictive thing on the planet. It's an addiction. Gambling. Whether it be online gambling or you take a trip to Vegas or you play the slot machine somewhere over in South Carolina or you get in front of me when I'm just trying to buy a bottle of water and you waste 10 minutes of my day. Am I irritated? Yes, because you're blowing your money on the lottery. It is a problem if you are here today and you say, I can't give to missions or tithes or offerings. I can't give 10%, but I'll go play the lottery. Your trust is not in who gave you the resources that you have. You're trusting a chance, and it is addiction. Pornography. Just as big of a problem now, almost, they tell us with women as it is with men. And it's right at our resource. I mean, I could pull up right now all the pornography I wanted and look at it in, in really about two or three seconds. Right here, right? We all know that's there. And it is an addiction. And it's one of the strongest strongholds that the enemy has on our country. I've ranted about this before, but we are so hypocritical when we will shout and scream, me too, but we don't... Nobody in Hollywood or in the government is saying anything about the porn industry. We are the most hypocritical country on this planet. When nobody wants to step up, step up and try to shut that garbage down, but we'll shout, me too, me too, me too. Why do we need a me too movement? It's because we've had generations and decades of men don't, who don't know how to respect women because they've been watching pornography. Sexual addictions flows right into that. And lust, yes, lust is an addiction that's on the list. Let's keep going. Eating disorders, food addictions, internet, social media, phone addictions. We can add those to the list today. Yes, let's add that. Overspending, shopping. For some of you, work is your addiction. It may not be something you smoke or drink, but you're addicted to work. You've got to work, you've got to work, you've got to work. You don't have time for church or family or anything else. you just got to work. That's a trap of addiction. And see, Satan is a master manipulator. Because what he'll do, he'll find something. This is what's amazing to me about the whole vape craze. Satan will, will look back and he'll say, well... The U.S. government and, and policies have finally gotten cigarettes and that part of nicotine out of people's hands with regulations and tax. And Satan says, I'll find another way to come in the back door with vaping and I'll still get people addicted to nicotine. Satan is a master manipulator. He'll find a way to get you. You may say, I don't look at hardcore pornography, but you may be have lust and deal with lust in your heart. Satan will find a way to get a hold of you. If it's not addictions, there's all forms of bondage. Let's talk about worry and doubt and fear. Those are bondages that the enemy wants to bring in our lives. Loneliness is a bondage. Comparison 
If you're always comparing yourself to the next family or somebody else, if you just scroll on Facebook and all you can ever do is compare yourself to everybody else, delete the app and get it out of your life. If you're tempted always, girls and guys, to compare yourself to everybody at your school, ask God to deliver you from that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You don't need to compare yourself to anybody else but who He's created you to be. Amen? We can go on. Those things lead to worthlessness and insecurity and depression and suicidal thoughts. Those are things that are real and they're in the church and they're in the house today. People in here today dealing with bondages like those that are on the screen. And then there's the other things like hatred and anger and frustration and bitterness. Those things that people are bound by. They can't forgive. They can't move on past the, the past. We're going to talk about that one of the weeks of this series, very specifically. And debt. Debt can be a bondage. Credit card debt, car debt. I got too big of a house debt. And then there's the past sins and the regret. All those things can be bondages. As we scrolled past those this morning, did you find one or two or three that you would say, yes, that's the one in my life that I'm dealing with? And remember, no matter what it is that you may be dealing with today, the enemy may not have been able to stop you from coming to church today. He may not have been able to stop you from making a decision to follow Christ, but you better believe he wants to do everything he can to keep you from being all that God wants you to be. He wants to put something in your life that will bind you and keep you from experiencing the full freedom that Christ has for you. And if he is successful, even as a believer, he can put you in a position where for your entire life, even coming to church, paying your tithes, teaching classes, serving, you can have a bondage in your life that you carry to the grave because you never break free from it because of God's power that's available in your life. For the last 13 months, we've talked about our vision statement. Hear his heart, show his love. But here's what the enemy wants to do. Show us this. The enemy doesn't want us to hear Christ's heart. He would rather us listen to his lies. The enemy doesn't want us to show Christ's love. He would rather us remain subject to our sins. And if he can keep us in bondage, then he can keep us from being effective as believers. See, here's the thing about spiritual bondage, and we'll define it real well right here. Listen to me. Anything that has more power over you than you have over it is bondage. If you have a, a thing in your life and you say, I can't or I don't want to stop blank because it feels too good, it's too good, or I just feel like I can't, then you're in bondage. It has more power and mastery over you than you have over it. So let's talk about some things about bondage this morning. We're going to get to the good news in a minute. And some of this that I'm going to share right now is good news, but... Let's talk about some of the things, some of the misconceptions about bondage. Here's one of them. Some people say demons were active when Christ was on earth, but their, their activity has subsided today. Well, if you're a believer who holds to this view, then you really don't understand what God's word says or you're, and you're blinded to what's really going on in the world today. Because think about what the scripture says. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12, he says, Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me say something to you this morning. Our country is more disunified than ever. That is not a flesh and blood issue. It's a spiritual issue. And I want to encourage you not to fight a flesh and blood battle on Facebook and one-on-one with other people in your conversations. That's a spiritual battle. You better believe the disunity in Washington and in this country is straight from the pit of hell. Look at it. Paul says our fight, our battle isn't flesh and blood. It's not between me and you. It's against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul even said it's in places that we can't see. It's in the heavenlies. It is above all of us. There is evil in this world. Later on in that, in that same passage, he talks about the armor of God. If there's not evil influences in our, in our world, why does the enemy tell us that we need to take up the shield of faith because there's flaming arrows that the enemy brings against us? In the book of 2 Corinthians, he tells us this. He says, though we live in the world... We don't wage war as the world does. If there's a war in the world, we know how that war will be fought with tanks and with guns and with strategies and generals and armies. But he says we don't fight that way. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons on the, of the world. And he tells us what those look like. But I just want to stop there because we got to realize that the battle that we're facing, the battle for your soul, the battle for your freedom is not a battle of flesh and blood. It's a battle of the Spirit. See, God's People wrestling against the enemy is not a first century thing. And it's not an option for us today as believers. It's unavoidable. The kingdom of darkness is still present. And Satan wants to make your life as miserable as possible so he can deny you your inheritance with Christ. Here's a second misconception and that is this. What the early church called demonic activity we now understand to be mental illness. Now, I am not a psychologist, nor am I going to say today that everybody who has a mental illness is is demon-possessed. But I do want you to consider this. Many of the people in our society who are psychologists, they're making decisions and they're defining uh, secular psychology defines human problems, but they have no way to establish what is the actual cause of the problem. And here's the reason why. Listen to me. Because they don't believe in God and they don't believe in the devil. So they have to just plap a label on it and say it's just mental illness. We can't really come up with an explanation. If they don't believe in God and they don't believe in the devil, they have no way to really understand where that might be coming from. And that there is an enemy and there's an enemy of our soul and an enemy of our mind. Number three, here's another another one. That is this, Christians aren't subject to demonic activity. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not saying, I didn't say that Christians, uh, that it's a misconception. I didn't say Christians can be filled with, with a demon, okay? But if we're, we are subject to demonic activity, because if Satan cannot touch the church and us as believers, why does the Word tell us that we need to stand firm and resist and pray in the Spirit and put on the armor of God and resist the devil? 
If we aren't susceptible to being wounded or trapped by Satan, why does Paul describe our relationship with the powers of darkness like a wrestling match? If there's no wrestling going on, there would be no activity. And are we not just wrestling with the air? <laughs> Number four, demonic influence is only evident in extreme or violent behavior and gross sin. Let me, let me talk about this for a second. Because I do believe, we, now, we know, just here in the last two months in our county, we, we heard of one of the most unthinkable things that could be done to two children by their parents and their family back in December. Was that situation demonic in its nature? Absolutely. Is it demonic influence for a man to molest a child? Absolutely. Is it demonic influence? For the governor of the state of New York to go and say, we're going to make it possible in every way possible to abort children. I didn't think abortion could get any worse. It is demonic. Jesus said, I have come that they may have what? Life. Jesus is all about life. What did Jesus say in the same sentence about the devil? The devil has come to steal, to kill, and destroy what? Life. So it all makes sense. That there is a demonic influence in our culture today that's trying to take out the lives of children before they're even born. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. And I know for so many of us, this has been a part of our culture for so long. It's like, we're talking about abortion again. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do either, but pray. We need to pray like we never have before and pray that somehow God would turn this thing around. So yes, there are demonic influences that result in violent behavior and gross sin, but not all of them, because see, Satan's first and foremost strategy is deception. He doesn't always come in strong and walk through the door with the pitchfork and the, and, and, and the blazing eyes and the demonic forces you would see in a horror movie like we would expect. Look at what Paul said about it. Paul says Satan disguises himself. As an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants, his demonic influences, and people who are, I'll say it, people who are pushing demonic agendas in our nation would disguise themselves. Here's the last one. Number five, freedom from spiritual bondage is the result of a power encounter with demonic forces. That's a misconception because I think what we've thought through the years is that if we scream loud enough and we yell loud enough and we hit people over the head with a Bible hard enough and we do all these loud demonstrative things that that's the way people are freed from demon possession. But listen to me. Freedom from spiritual conflicts and bondage is not a power encounter. It is a truth encounter. See, Satan is a deceiver. He will work undercover at all costs. But, listen to me, church, the truth of God's Word exposes him and his lie. 
Demons are like cockroaches that scurry for the shadows when the light of God's truth comes on. There was a little boy one time who was hanging out with his dad and his older brother and they, were, they had a farm and they were going to a neighbor's farm nearby to, to share some produce. And every time they went over there, there was this yappy little dog that would come up after they got out of the truck and the dad would just ignore the dog and the older brother would ignore the dog. But the little boy was always so scared of that dog that he would run and he would take off and he would jump up in the back of a pickup truck and that yappy little dog is down there. Yep, 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 yep. That little yappy dog has no power over that little boy except what that little boy had given him. And this would go on, on and on and on. And finally... He said, the guy who told the story said, one day I decided that I wasn't going to put up with that little yappy dog and I got out of the back of that pickup truck and I kicked one rock at him and he, he took off running. And from then on, I walked around with no problem with that yappy little dog. Can I tell you that the enemy, Satan, is like a yappy little dog fearing people, convincing them to fear him more than they fear God. The power of Satan is in a lie. Because he is the father of lies, Jesus said in John 8, 44. Revelation 12, 9 tells us that he deceives the whole world. 1 John verse 2, 19, 5, 19, John says that the whole world is in the control of the evil one. See, he can do nothing about your position in Christ unless you believe the lies that he says about you and he keeps you in the back of the pickup truck always running from his yapping. What we need to do is kick a rock of truth in his face and say, get the heck out of my face, devil. So what do we do? How do we break free? I'm going to give you three things and we're almost done and these are short. Number one, we got to recognize biblical truth. Everybody say those words with me. Go. Recognize biblical truth. Listen, you don't have to, have to outsmart him or outmuscle him to be free of his influence. You just have to outtruth him. Amen. Satan is a deceiver. He works undercover. We just said that. And here's the thing. You must believe, declare, and act upon God's truth and you will thwart Satan's strategy. Truth is a liberating agent. The power of Satan is in the lie, but the power of the believer is in knowing the truth. And if you are in bondage in any area today, you are not free just because you listen to your pastor preach a message about biblical truth. But what brings freedom to you is when you get out of the back of a pickup truck and you believe and confess and renounce the things that the enemy is bringing into your life. When you recognize what the scripture says about biblical truth, it's just a procession, a progression rather that makes sense. Listen to this. Jesus said in John, here, here's what I want to do with these verses. We're going to put them up on the screen. I'm going to give the scripture and then I want us to say them together. You ready? Here we go. We're going to speak some biblical truth. John 8, 32. Let's go. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. John 17, 15 through 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, think about such things. Somebody give God praise today for the truth of His Word. Hallelujah. His Word is truth. And when you recognize biblical truth, that's the first step to breaking free. Whatever was in the list for you today, whatever you're addicted to and bound to, the first step is recognizing biblical truth. Amen? The second step is that you profess Jesus' victory. Jesus' death and resurrection triumphed over and disarmed all of the rulers and authorities that try to speak over your life. See, here's the thing. Prior to Jesus going to the cross, Jesus had the power to to free people from demonic activity. He had to give that power to his disciples. But something, listen to me, radical happened at the cross and in the resurrection that changed the nature of spiritual conflicts forever. Jesus' death and resurrection triumphed over and disarmed the rulers and authorities of the kingdom of darkness. It's like Jesus put Satan up against the wall and he disarmed him. Now you're going to say, well, you just said he's got fiery darts that he throws at us. Well, let me tell you what. Jesus may have let him keep some of that armor, but he took every bullet off of him. He disarmed him. He can come at you with something, but it's no more than a potato gun. Because he has been disarmed. What do you mean disarmed? Where does that come from? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Look at what the scripture says in Colossians. I want to share with you a scripture right here that comes from a new version of, uh, it's a new translation called the Passion Translation. My, my children's pastor was telling me about this. And I want to show you how the Passion Translation says this verse in Corinthians that we know well. Go, go to the next one, uh, Chris. One more. Is that it? Okay, that's the one. Now look at this, okay? This is how we know what he's done. It says, he, Jesus, canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Have you ever heard of a public display of affection? That's a public display of cancellation that Jesus did with your sins and mine. Oh man, and then it gets better. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers of principalities and darkness stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Hallelujah. Somebody give the Lord praise for his word today. 
See, prior to the cross, all authority had not been given to Jesus. But after the cross, Jesus said, All authority, oh hallelujah, in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because of the cross, Satan is a defeated foe and he has no authority over you. And when you affirm Christ's victory and Satan's defeat, that is the primary step to you combating the enemy's attempts to intimidate you and hassle you. Is anybody tired of being intimidated by his crap? I'm just going to say it. We can say that now, can't we, I reckon? (laughs) Some of you need to get out of the top of the pickup truck. You've been sitting on the top of that truck far too long, letting that yappy little know-it-all yap at you, and you've not been armed with anything that you can say back to him. But I hope you're getting loaded this morning. I got one more to fill up. If you got any more spots for bullets, I got one more to give you. Three steps to breaking free. You got to recognize biblical truth. You got to profess Jesus' victory. And here's the last one. Oh, hallelujah. You got to exercise his authority. Listen. In Christ's death and resurrection, every believer is made alive with him. And you no longer need an outside agent to have authority for you. Now you reside in Jesus Christ and He has given you all authority. And here's what you've got to do. In order to resist the devil, you need to understand and appropriate your position and authority in Christ. Let's say it this way. How many of you here today have authority over somebody in your life? Let me see your hands. So there's not a whole lot of hands going off because you really don't know if you do or not. But if you're a parent, you have authority over somebody in your life, your child. If you own a business, you have authority. If you're a teacher, you have authority. If you're a bus driver, you have authority. If you're a coach, you have authority. If you're a doctor, a police officer, if you've been in the military, you have authority. If you're an officer in one of your school clubs, you have authority. My two kids, my two oldest kids were were drum majors. And they went from marching on the field with the rest of the band to suddenly getting a position where they had authority to tell everybody else what to do. Felt a little bit good to them, I believe. I watched guys on the ball field at the rec department, at the baseball field, and at the basketball games. They walk in with a jacket on. They walk in the room. They look like everybody else. They take their jacket off, and they got that black, those black and white stripes. You know what I'm talking about, Ethan. And now suddenly, those guys have got authority. And I've watched them listen as they, as they ref the games, and some of those mouthy parents get mouthy, and they say, you get out of here. You hit the parking lot. What? Me hit the parking lot? Yeah, you hit the parking lot. You go. Go hit the parking lot. We're not putting up with that. Why? Because this ordinary person walks in the room and they've got authority and they can tell parents to leave. And anybody ever seen this happen? I know you have, Brad. You've been in enough ball games. I've seen people get kicked out because they're mouthy and just act like a bunch of idiot rednecks. Because that referee has authority to do it. And, if they, and, and I've heard them, oh man, how stupid do you have to be? I've seen guys walk off the ball field right here in Rinkin. Just nod at me if you've ever seen this. I'll see you in the parking lot, ref. Really? And if he wants to meet the ref in the parking lot, guess who the ref can call? He can call a higher authority, the Effingham County Sheriff's Department, and then we'll have some more authority on place. 
See, let's talk a little bit about authority. We all, in some way or another, have some authority in our lives. And as I was thinking about this, and and this is my last illustration today, and we're going to end. I hope you don't have to go anywhere, because we're going to end big today. I have a big illustration we're going to end with that for every one of us here today, you're going to have an opportunity to exercise your authority. So don't leave. There's an episode of the greatest television show ever made, The Andy Griffith Show. I told you I'm preaching the truth today. (laughs) Show me that slide. You might remember this episode. It's called Lawman Barney. And there's these two bullies who are selling fruits and vegetables outside of town. And Barney walks up like that yappy dog. And you guys need to leave. You need to listen. He just talks trash to them. But they're bigger than him. And they back him down, and he gets in his car and drives away like a, like a little beat pup. But then the sheriff comes up. And Andy Griffith walks on the scene, and Andy handles it completely different. You can learn almost anything you need to learn about parenting and pastoring and leadership from Andy Griffith. <laughs> and, and, and you can laugh, but it's the truth. Because Andy walks up with authority, and he walks up humbly, and he says, Hey, guys, what's going on? And he has this conversation with them, and he says, well, look, guys, you, you can't be here. You know, you're taking away what belongs to somebody else. You're taking away business from our guys downtown. And, and those two men, you know, they knew they'd already dealt with his deputy. They step in Andy's face, and Andy says, that boys say, uh, well, who says so? And Andy just stands there flat-footed, and he said, I say. But better yet, that's the scene you're looking at. He says, this says. And Andy says, I'm not going to argue with you. Are you going to leave? And one of them looks at the other one and he says, he ain't playing. And the other one says, no, not this one. Remember Andy Griffiths with the sheriff? He was a sheriff without a what? Gun. Most episodes he never had a gun. He never had a weapon. But he knew how to exercise his authority. And there's something that's said in that previous scene when Barney walks up. One of the bullies looks at him and he says, We like our spot. So you just get. We're staying. And that's when Barney takes off running. But see, here's the thing about the enemy. The enemy, when you first approach him and you start trying to tell him some things, he'll look at you and he'll say, I like my spot, so you get. I'm not moving. But when you walk up flat-footed, you don't need to scream and yell and hit him over the head with a Bible or do anything crazy that you'd see on TBN. But you stand like Andy Griffith, flat-footed, and you say, who says? And you say, well, I say, but better yet, this says. See, some of us, here's what we, it's this simple over the addictions and bondages in our lives. We need to start exercising his authority. When, it, when, I really, when I originally made that line for this third point, it said exercise our authority. And early this morning when I was studying and going back over my message, I'm like, that's wrong. It needs to be exercise his authority. Because I have no authority. All of my authority comes through him. <laughs> but when I speak in the name of Jesus, we sang it all morning, then that's when I can be free. See, authority is wasted if it's not used properly. 
And some of you have got authority in Jesus that you've not used that you just need to start looking at that badge and saying, look, look at my authority. How do you break free? Number one, you recognize biblical truth. Number two, you profess Jesus' victory. And number three, you exercise his authority. I'm going to ask the musicians and singers to come, and we're going to wrap this up this morning, and we're going to do something very special today to finish our service. And you guys can go ahead and start playing, please. It's hard to believe, but <clears throat> it's already been about six weeks since Christmas. And did anybody have to take anything back and exchange it? Some of you did. Some of you still need to. You got some stuff. I got some stuff sitting in my room I, st I still haven't taken back. But when you take something back and you exchange it, you do that for a few reasons. You do it because... It was the wrong size. You need something bigger, usually, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe it was, uh, you would rather have a blue sweater than a red sweater. Maybe it's just, you, you know, you can get something else in that store that you'd rather have. So you're going you're gonna to make an exchange. A few weeks ago, you know, I, I was telling you a while ago about Right Now Media we were trying to get the church ready for that I went to Walmart I bought four new TVs I bought two for the nursery because the nursery, hey nursery they can now watch us live because y'all are bringing babies by the dozens now and they got thousands of kids in there by the way we need nursery help Okay, and this means you they got tons of kids in there so we got them new TVs in there and we also bought some new nice big screen TVs for the small groups because they're going to be using Right Now Media so Brock and I, on, on a day he had off, I believe it was MLK Day. Where is he? Oh, there he is. He's back there. So Brock and I are installing TVs in this room, and we get out one of them, and it's cracked. It's broken, and we've gotten all that junk off of it. You know, it takes forever to get one out. You get it all out, you're ready to put it on the wall, and it's cracked. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. i take that back. I put it back in the box. All right, we got to take it. Go across the street, put up the other two, two TVs, cut one of them on, and as I cut it on across the screen, this crack you gotta be kidding me I've purchased two out of the four TVs are broken cracked broken I didn't cuss y'all <laughs> praise the Lord I might have said dag on it <clears throat> said devil I can't believe you're coming against these TVs these are God's TVs see there's some things that aren't the devil it's just yes, some amen. some idiot that dropped it in the parking lot and then still put it on the Walmart shelf but I digress so I had to take all those things back and I had to do what? I had to exchange them. Well, this morning, this is how we're going to end the service today. We're going to do an exchange today. And I had to go exchange those two things because they were cracked and broken. And there are things in our lives sometimes that the enemy has brought brokenness and cracks and pain and hurt into our lives and here's what we're going to do this morning. I have a little slip of paper right here that says, I am free from blank. And whatever the thing is that today was the thing that you thought about as we ran the list, or maybe you're like, hey, he didn't put mine up on the screen. I'm good to go. But you know what yours is. Maybe we forgot yours. I want to challenge you today to put that on this paper.
Well, pastor, I'm not free from that. No, you are. Because what we're going to do today is we're going to exercise our authority in faith to say that I'm already free from alcohol or pornography or lust or overspending or fear or bondage or depression or cigarettes or whatever it is. I'm going to declare it. I'm already free over that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And here's what we're going to do this morning with this, all right? And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you guys start this. Just take, take a slip of paper and a pen. There's plenty for everybody. Take one and pass it. Now, I'm even going to make it easy for you today. If you're dealing with something that you don't want somebody to know about, and somebody's beside you, and it's, this is too private, I'm going to let you just put an X. If for, you, if, if for you it's an X, then I want you to just put an X. Okay? If you just, if you just want to put an X on that slip of paper. But as those come around, I want you to Write down what it is. If you don't feel comfortable writing it out, just write an X. And we're going to make an exchange today. We've sang and we've talked about it all morning. We've sang and talked about the cross. We've sang and talked about the resurrection today. And see, our authority, the only authority we have today is based on what Jesus did on the cross and based on His resurrection. Amen? So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to come and we're going to receive communion. And you're going to exchange that thing that's kept you bound for that thing that will set you free. The blood and the body of Jesus. So as you come, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to come up. I'm going to tell you in just a second how we're going to make this happen. And I want you to come and I want you to lay these right here in this middle section on this altar. Just lay them up here and go grab a, an element, grab a piece of bread and the cup and go back to your seat. And I'm going to lead you in communion here in just a few moments. And I believe this is going to be a powerful moment today where we're going to exercise our authority in Him. Lord, right now as we sit here and we think about what we need to write on this paper... Lord, I pray that the voice of the enemy would be silenced and the voice of the Holy Spirit, of the faith and assurance that we have in you, would be louder. And God, that as we come today and we make this exchange, that we would leave behind those things that have us bound and we would take up the thing that can make us free as we receive communion today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I'm going to ask the students to start right here. And right here with Dave, and as you come, if you'll come, get your elements and go back to your seat, and we'll just start making a circle. We'll do these middle two sections. And the worship team is going to begin to sing, and as they do, I want you to sing along with them. As you receive your elements and go back to your seat, if you'll remain standing for a moment, and we're going to begin to sing. Can we bring that song up, guys? And as they lead us in worship today. On the day that death surrendered to the mighty cross of Jesus Christ, the earth would shake beneath the weight of darkened skies.
Yeah. 
of papers up here today see when you when you leave today and at some point today tomorrow the next few days be ready because the enemy is going to remind you of this paper he's going to say nah that was just something you did because you did it because the pastor asked you to do it. you're really not free from that that's when you're going to stand up and do everything we talked about this morning you might need to go back and listen to the message so you can remember it all but the most important part is you're going to stand there like Andy Griffith, flat-footed, and you're going to look and say, it's not me talking, it's the badge. I'm free because of this. I'm recognizing his authority. I recognize his authority today in my life. And if you'll serve these guys and they'll get ready to receive today. You know, we opened up this morning. I didn't forget about it. Our first scripture that we talked about this morning was that one where Jesus was in the temple. And remember what Jesus said. Think about full circle, where we started and where we're landing this morning. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then at the end, what did he say? It is fulfilled in your hearing. The beginning of all of that being fulfilled was started right there. And it would be finished when he said, It is finished. And then it would be completed on Sunday morning when he rose from the dead victorious over death hell and the grave and every bondage that Satan can throw against you so this morning we come to the table of the Lord and we have made an exchange something more important than a couple of busted TVs anybody bring your busted dreams your busted life your busted health your busted problems we all have busted garbage in our lives that today we're making an exchange for the wholeness that we find in him. Amen? Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the scripture tells us that Jesus took bread and looking at the step, looking at his disciples, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take that little piece of bread, break it. As a symbol of, of the breaking. He, his body was broken for you so that you could be free in the name of Jesus. Lord, we receive the bread today. Thank you today for your broken body today, Jesus, and what it means for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. You boys have heard about the old covenant over and over and over and over and over, but there's a new covenant. My blood my body that will be given tomorrow for you is what Jesus was saying and we celebrate today the freedom that we have through the body and blood of Jesus we receive the cup today
Hallelujah. Will you just respond right there in gratefulness and thankfulness today? Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thankful that Thank you. because of his truth today that you are free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. you are free from every addiction, from every form of bondage that the enemy could have over your life today because of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I am free. I am free from alcohol. I am free from drugs. I am free from pornography. I am free from lust. I am free from worry and from fear and depression and from comparison. I'm free from debt. I'm free from my past. I am free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you today for our freedom that we have in you. We stand free today. Oh, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the reason. Is the reason I'm alive for his blood has set me free, it will never lose its power for me, it will never lose its power. cup on the seat right behind you for the next five seconds and put your hands together and give the Lord praise for freedom that we have. Come on. Let's fill this place with some noise of people who are free in Him. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise Amen. you today for freedom. We are free in you. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Amen. Go make your world better and brighter in the name of Jesus. Have a great day, and we'll see you back here Wednesday night for Family Ministries Night. God bless you.